This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time but still found the time to create a course grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. All right, Michael, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Hero Academy. Mike Sugru, uh, what state are you out of? I'm in California. I'm actually in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, I was just talking to a guy um, earlier today who's just outside of San Francisco. Let me see who that was. That was uh, Matt Letton. You know, uh, name sounds familiar. I don't think I know him, though. It does yeah. sound familiar. So um, we were talking about the Redwood Forest. And I was saying I've never been to San Francisco before. I've only been to Cali one time. It was uh, Palm Desert, which is very different from where you are. Oh, yeah, that's that's a horrible place to be. <laughs> I, I I have no desire to ever go there. <laughs> it's a wealthy area, though, right? Uh, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I just I, guess, I prefer to be closer to the ocean. OK, there's pockets. There's pockets of wealth everywhere. Right. So exactly. Um, you're outside of Silicon Valley. No, I'm actually closer to Napa Valley, so I'm about 10 minutes from Napa. Okay. All right. Awesome. And how long are you retired now? I retired in the summer of 2018. Oh, not that long ago. So is it five years now? We're actually coming up. Five-year anniversary will be next month. I think it's uh, like mid-August will be the five-year anniversary. That's awesome, man. I have so many questions for you about retirement. But first thing you said that hit me, that knocked me off my, uh, I'm on a, on a ball. I'm not on a chair right now. <laughs> First thing that knocked me off my ball was you said you've been on 60 or 70 podcasts. Uh, how, how, and why did you get booked on so many? Honestly, this is the crazy story. So my whole journey started from one single podcast. So I'm going to take you back to 2019. It was about a year after I'd been retired and this guy I didn't know his name was Danny Bird. Uh, he was a former police officer. He was a podcast host. And he actually is down in the Silicon Valley. And uh, he didn't know me, but he saw me on LinkedIn because I was always posting a lot of things about mental health or suicide prevention. Not really my story, but just general stuff that I saw or found. And he, he knew that I was into fitness like he is. So he's like, hey, would you want to be on my, my podcast show? 
And I was like, no, man, I, I have like no desire to do that. Like, it's, it's not my thing. I'm not ready to talk about this kind of stuff. Like I'd never talked about my story in public like that. And so thank God this guy kind of harassed me. I mean, he really did. And he got me to the point where I committed. And I'm the kind of guy, like, once I commit, I'm going to do something. So he's like, look, bro. He's like, I will drive the two and a half hours to you. I just need an hour of your time. Name the spot, wherever you want, and we'll do this. So I said, okay, we agree. I picked this Mimi's Cafe out by where I live. And I thought, man, I'm going to go in there, get to know this guy, have some breakfast and coffee. And I walk in the back of the restaurant. He's got laptops, a video camera, headphones. And he's like, sorry, bro, but I got to be gone in an hour. Like, I got to get back down to the South Bay. So we're just going to do this. And so I put these headphones on. And uh, I remember he just started asking me questions. And, you know, I didn't think about it, like overthink it or like try to figure out how am I going to answer this? I just answered everything straight from the heart. And the crazy thing is that up until that point, I was still ashamed and embarrassed about my journey through post-traumatic stress injury. And about how dark I got to the point where I literally wanted to die on the line of duty. And so when he aired this thing, like this weight came off my shoulders because I was trying to control my story. I wasn't trying to let it out. And then once it was out there and sure enough, I was expecting like messages from people I knew just kind of like shameful or embarrassed or, you know, want nothing to do with me. And I literally started getting messages from all over the world, like Australia, UK, Canada, the U.S., on how my story really resonated with them. And they started sharing their story with me. And so, man, I can't tell, it was like, this was the beginning of like my healing after the healing. And so I just started doing podcast after podcast, which eventually led to public speaking, where I started speaking all over the US. And then eventually it led to, um, it's been a little bit over a year now to a best-selling book that I never even imagined. So I, I was just gonna go retire and like, live this quiet life, you know, not, not talk about this stuff. And man, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And so, man, I owe it to Danny Bird because had he not come into my life at that point, I don't know if this journey would have happened like it did. What's the name? I, uh, whenever somebody mentions they have a book, I always break out the pen. What's the name of the book? So the book is right here. It's called Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. And it's co-authored with Dr. Shauna Springer. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist who's worked with combat veterans and first responders most of her career. But this book came out the end of April, 2022. It was actually a bestseller for over 22 weeks. It's been a bestseller in Canada and the United States. And it's been two weeks ago yesterday, we just released the Audible version. So we recorded it in our own voices. And man, this book, it's saving marriages, it's saving careers, but more importantly, this book is saving lives. It's so incredible, man. I love everything about your story and everything that you've, you've done since retiring. Um, I'm trying to follow in the same footsteps. I uh, have the podcast. I asked if you had a podcast. You said no, but you, uh, you do currently speak on stages and um, you promote the book. Are you writing any other books after? You know, no books planned as of right now. And, uh, you know, the podcast, like a lot of people ask me about having my own show. But to be honest with you, that's stress. Like I yeah. try to since I've been retired, I really try to mitigate and reduce my stress. So even though I speak, I only speak four to five times a year. That's it. Like I have a hard ceiling on that. 
And I've got two coming up um, in Orlando, Florida and Norfolk, Virginia. And I'm done for the year because I'm truly focused on enjoying life, you know, living life to the fullest. And I got a beautiful 12 year old daughter that I have full time half the time and she's my world. So I'm not trying to go back to that working world where I'm, you know, just doing things every day and on the grind and stressing. I'm really just trying to take it easy and kick back right now. What state were you, um, Leo? Where, where were you? So I was actually in, in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area in a Walnut Creek. But before I did that, I was actually in the Air Force. Um, I got out as a captain in 2004, and I was in security forces, which is basically military police, anti-terrorism, force protection, air-based ground defense, nuclear security. And I did that in South America, Europe, the Middle East, all over the U.S., bro. So I got... Altogether, it's it's about 20 and a half years of law enforcement experience. Wow, that's awesome, man. Thank you for all of your years of service. That's incredible. I, I just, uh, I applaud everyone that's ever been served, served in the military and anyone that then went into another service career into law enforcement. God bless you, man. So I see your name. It says Sergeant Michael Segru. Did, did you retire as a sergeant? I did. Yeah. So I got out of the Air Force as a captain and I medically retired for what I call post-traumatic stress injury as a police sergeant. Um, I know you've told the story before and typically I don't ask, but since I know that you've done a lot of healing from it, can you tell that story? You know, there's a lot of stories and, and a lot of stories in my book, but I'll tell you about my breaking point. All right. So this is the thing that kind of set me over the edge and I'm going to take you back to November 2012. Um, actually, my shift started the day after Christmas. It was a graveyard shift. So I worked 9.30 at night till 7.30 in the morning. I had just been promoted to sergeant about a month earlier, and I was on my second solo shift running a patrol team. Minimum staffing. My life was perfect, bro. Like I was happily married, beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, just brought my dream house across the golf course for my parents. Um, I was in good health. My parents were in good health. My career was literally off the charts. And so I remember going into work that night, just kind of in a high because it was my Friday. I was going to be off for like three or four days, already kind of making plans for the weekend, get there. And there's another team. There's a swing shift team on. It's pretty slow. Um, eventually that team goes home and I'm the only supervisor on duty after about like one, one thirty in the morning. And I only got four officers and one dispatcher now just for the whole city. And about 3 a.m., we're like four hours from going off duty. Suddenly, the female dispatcher gets on the radio voice just like frantic, like I've never heard it. And she says that there's a woman inside a condominium and a man armed with a knife on Creekside Drive. And so immediately, I threw my binder to the side because I was reviewing reports, put my car in drive, lights and siren on. I just start driving towards that location as fast as I can. And I know the street. Um, it's all high res, like apartments and condos, but I don't know this complex. I don't know where this exact unit is. And so no traffic, literally just blowing through lights. About halfway there, the dispatcher again gets on the radio and she says now that the boyfriend and girlfriend are barricaded inside their bedroom. And so I was confused and I asked for clarification on the radio. And I said, is the boyfriend the one with the knife or is there a third subject armed with a knife? And she quickly clarified, no, there's a third party armed with a knife. And so now, man, all these crazy thoughts are just going through my head. Adrenaline's rushing. Like I'm in charge, like I'm the supervisor and I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. Literally, I pull up first on scene in front of this huge complex. It's dark. As I start to get out of my car, 
the dispatcher starts screaming on the radio saying, units, units, there's a struggle, there's a struggle. And then the phone line went dead. She lost all communication inside the condominium. Now, thank God at that same time, one of my female officers pulls up right behind me. And as I'm getting out, we can hear blood curling screams coming from the distance. A woman literally screaming for her life. Sounds like she's being killed or dying. To this day, one of the worst sounds I've ever heard. We have our guns out and we just start running towards the sounds of the screams. I've got more officers coming, but we got to get there. Eventually, we have to crawl outside this, this staircase and then we get into this courtyard. And it's just two-story attached condos all around us. And we get to the unit and it goes from blood curling screams to just dead, eerie silence. I don't hear anything. I don't see anybody outside. We announce ourselves, you know, please come out, show us your hands. Nothing. I try to kick open the door. It doesn't work. My partner motions to the side and there's a huge louvered window the size of a door. It's completely shattered inside to the condominium. So we post up on the window again, announcing ourselves, please come out, show us your hands. Nothing, no sound, no movement. She looks at me. I look at her. She goes in. I'm right behind her. Now we're in this kitchen area. I can see a cutout. There's like a, a family room, a dining room. We exit the kitchen. She goes right. And that puts her at the base of a stairwell. And behind her is that locked front door I tried kicking. I go left. I clear the family room, dining room. I don't see anybody. There's no signs of a struggle. I come back to her. We're now both at the bottom of the staircase. Literally, my shoulder is touching her shoulder. On her right is a solid wall. And if you look up to the left, you can see an opening. We don't know if it's a landing or a bedroom. Not seeing anything, but we got our guns up, yelling, please come out, show us your hands. Suddenly, this guy partially comes out. We can't see the right side of his body, just sweating profusely, eyes wide open, literally just staring straight through us as if we're not there. And we're yelling, show us your hands, show us your hands. I mean, I don't remember facial expressions. I don't remember eye movement, body movement, nothing. Two more officers make their way into the condo. I yell for one of them to get the taser. The male officer says, I've got the taser. He positions right behind myself and that other officer. The second female officer goes perpendicular to the stairwell. Suddenly, the male comes all the way out. And my party yells, he's got a knife. He's got a knife. And in his right hand, he was clenching a large butcher knife. And now we're yelling, drop the knife, drop the knife. No reaction. Again, no eye movement, no words, no body movement, sweaty, just staring straight through us. Suddenly, he comes up with a knife over his head and starts coming towards us. I shoot. Other officers shoot. I don't know if I've hit him. I don't know if they've hit him. He's now at the bottom of the stairwell. The two female officers repositioned to the family room, dining room area. That male officer had the taser dropped it. He now has his gun out. And literally, we're like a few feet from this guy on the ground. I don't see any blood. I don't see any injuries. And he's still holding this butcher knife in his right hand. And all we know is he's between us and that couple upstairs. And we got to get to him. And so now we're yelling, drop the knife, drop the knife. And he starts coming back up with the knife. And literally just right there, man, just devastating. I mean, he was, he was killed instantly. His eye was gone, blood everywhere. And literally, I was like in shock for a moment, but I was like, I had to get my shit together. And so we checked the vitals. There were none. We had medical already staging, had dispatch send him in. I had the two officers go upstairs. And thank God we got there and we did because this guy had been stabbing through the bedroom door with this butcher knife. And this poor couple was physically barricading their bodies against the door as it was coming off the hinges. And I have no doubt, had we not gotten there when we did, they would be dead. They would not be alive today.
So thank God they were unharmed. They were okay physically. I can't speak to their emotional or mental state, but that incident set off a series and a chain of events, including a federal lawsuit, just a downward spiral. I mean, all kinds of administrative things. I mean, we could talk for it about hours and I talk about all this in my book, but that incident literally is what pushed me over the edge because up to that point, I had all these other traumatic incidents that I never talked about. I never processed. I just pushed it all away and, and pretended, believed that none of this stuff was ever going to affect me or phase me. Just before speaking to you, I was just speaking to a Connecticut Leo who is also a therapist and he services first responders. And I have so many questions just based around that story. Was it the family that sued you or was it the... It was. So, um, you know, the hard thing is that to this day, we don't know why this young man did what he did. Um, he actually had no history of mental illness. He had some drug history like marijuana, ecstasy, um, like smoking sage. But he actually turns out was one of the roommates that lived there. We didn't know that. Um, and there had been no problems ever between these people. And um, in fact, earlier that night, so there was three males that lived there. The one guy had his girlfriend over. The other guy was gone for the holidays with his family. But the three of these people were hanging out, eating pizza, watching movies. At some point, the, the victim, boyfriend, and girlfriend, they go up to their bedroom. And the boyfriend's playing Xbox, like, into the night. Like, and the girlfriend just falls asleep on his lap. Hours later, around 3 a.m., they later describe the same look, just sweating profusely, eyes wide open. This guy comes in the bedroom, jumps on the bed, doesn't say anything, and starts trying to strangle to death the other male roommate and they've never had a history of anything. I mean, these people got along, they were friends. Like they went to high school together, they wrestled together and by the grace of God somehow, and they were like calling his name. He wasn't reacting. He wasn't responding. And somehow they got him off him. They got him downstairs, locked him outside the condo, ran upstairs, barricaded the bedroom and called 911. And that's when he broke through that huge window, grabbed a butcher knife from the kitchen and went straight up to their bedroom and started stabbing through the door trying to get to them. And so, you know, I understand it now. I was so angry at the time about this lawsuit, but the family wanted answers. And honestly, I want answers. And I actually ended up in federal court in San Francisco four years later in 2016 on trial. And you can't imagine that process and what it does to you in depositions year after year. And, and the thing is that this guy had an identical twin brother who was in the Air Force like I was, and, and he was at the hearings. And this is the same face that I couldn't get out of my nightmares for years, was literally sitting feet behind me in the courtroom, the guy that tried to kill me. So, yeah, I mean, it's just the toll that, that took is, is just, it's unimaginable to feel like a criminal. When, I, when we saved lives, we saved this couple's life. They later testified to it. We saved our own lives because he would have killed them and he would have killed us. And I didn't want to do this. That incident, you know, we say we'll take a life if we have to. I never wanted to. And most right. of us never, never have to. Less than 1% of police officers are ever involved in a fatal incident. But the fact is, and what the public needs to understand is that now in 2023, 11 years later, I still have to live with this. This still bothers me. This has affected my life and will affect me for the rest of my life. God bless you, brother. I, I feel in every fiber, I feel for you when you tell that story. And I know that 
you'll never really truly be over it, but you can, you've done the work and you can heal from it. How long after did you decide to seek therapy? So it was almost four years. Um, there was another, so my trial ended December 2000, or sorry, September, 2016. So that whole time I lost my marriage. I started drinking too much. My father, my hero, he's the reason why I got into law enforcement, got stage four cancer and died. I started getting repeated skin cancer, this lawsuit. I was fighting for custody of my daughter. And so when the trial ended and we prevailed, thank God, we won. The federal judge, Judge Breyer, he's actually the brother of the Supreme Court justice that just retired. He said on the record, had it not been for our actions, more lives would have been lost that night. But sitting there for two weeks and hearing all these crazy theories and, and these other attorneys called us cold-blooded murderers. They said we planted evidence. This guy was never a threat. He was never armed. And it took a toll. And I told myself when this trial is over, everything is going to magically get better. But it got much, much worse. And it got to the point where, and I talk about these instances in my book, I started purposely putting myself in very dangerous situations at work, hoping somebody killed me. And so November 2016, after this trial ended, about a week after Thanksgiving, my best friend, his name is John Davison. He has a chapter in our book. He's a Vietnam veteran. He was a 35-year reserve officer. He tried to kill himself when I was on duty. I was the day shift patrol sergeant. And he had slit both wrists stabbed himself in the torso multiple times, OD'd on multiple prescription medications. And I got to the hospital, he's covered in blood, in and out of consciousness. And I literally had 30 seconds with him before they rushed him off to emergency surgery. And I remember sitting there for hours in the hospital, wondering if he was gonna live. And I felt this overwhelming sense of guilt. Why didn't I do something to stop this? Why didn't I see the signs? And then I started thinking about my young daughter at the time, who was only six, and I started thinking, what is she going to think? What's going to be the effect on her if I kill myself in the line of duty? And what's going to be the ripple effect on her future children? And so a month after that, on the anniversary of my shooting, 2016, I literally broke down in my car for two hours. I was alone. I didn't have my daughter. I was alone for the holidays. And finally, I pulled out my cell phone and got the strength and courage to finally ask for help. And so my best friend, John, and thank God he survived, he lived, but he saved my life by trying to take his own life. Wow. And he's still with us? He is, thank God. I talk to him every week. He's doing phenomenal. Like I said, he's got a full chapter in this book where he talks about Vietnam. He talks about what that, that did to him and the culture around talking about mental health and wellness. And he talks about his suicide attempt. And that's the thing is that this book is raw, man. This is, it's no holds barred. I mean, we literally, he bears a soul, I bear my soul, and Dr. Springer, she bears her soul. I mean, this is about as intrusive and intimate as personal as you will ever get. I'll send you a picture later, but I'm definitely ordering it. And I always listen to the audio uh, when I can. So I'll be listening to that also. That's the audio is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Kind of cool story. Uh, we recorded it in the same studio as En Vogue, Destiny's Child, Beyonce, Tony, 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 uh, Too Short, Spice One. And man, it was draining. But we, we, the audio is us. It's, it's not actors. And it's spoken with emotion. It's spoken with passion. It's straight from our heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, this Audible 
it's like watching a movie. You're going to feel like you're right there. How long did that whole process take? Can you walk us through that? Well, the book itself took um, over a year and the the audio, um, it took, what was it, like four full days of recording and it was so, so draining because, you know, people don't realize like when you naturally read something, you skip words, you fill in words, the words have to be exact, the tone has to be right, the pitch has to be right, the motion has to be appropriate and it's like, but the cool thing is it's not just my voice, like there's actually three people's voices. And so you're getting to hear different voices. It's not the same person all the time. And and like I said, this book, what makes it so unique is that, so every chapter is structured the same way, except for my friend John's chapter, because it's his story. But every chapter, the beginning part is my story all the way back to childhood until current day. And the second half, Dr. Springer comes in and she breaks everything down and explains it in layman's terms, very easy to understand. So that anybody reading this book, whether you're a family member, a loved one of a military member or first responder, or you're just a random person on the street, you're going to see the real human behind the badge and behind the uniform. And that's that's what makes this book so great is that, you know, usually you have to do one or the other. You have to hear like a gripping story or you have to like read a psychological textbook, right? Well, no, nah, this this has like therapy and counseling and like the answers and the solutions. It has everything. So you know, you're going to feel your stomach turn and then doc's going to come in and she's going to bring you back and balance it out. And, and it, man, I, I'm just, I'm going to tell you right now, when you read this book, it's going to blow your socks off, brother. I guarantee it. I, I will hundred percent root. I will read this book. I will show you evidence and proof that I did. And, uh, I I'm actually really looking forward to it. Um, what other than speaking, do you do any other work or is that pretty much it? Um, I do volunteer at the West Coast post-trauma retreat as a peer where I actually went through as a client back in 2017. Um, But, you know, like I said, really, I'm just trying to enjoy life. So I do podcast interviews. um, I do speaking engagements only four to five a year. But I'm going to tell you what I'm hoping for if anybody happens to be listening to this. So my favorite movies are Training Day and End of Watch. And I'm hoping someday the director, producer of one of those movies wants to take Relentless Courage and make a movie out of it. And so that's that's the ultimate. If that ever happens, then I know. I know it's happened. I know we've made it. And, and this message of healing and hope, it's going to get to even wider audience. And that's what I want, is I want everyone to hear this. I want everyone to read this because it's going to help everyone. It doesn't even matter if you're in law enforcement or first respondent. I guarantee you, it's going to help you. Thank you. Thank you for writing it. And um, I, I know that you saved those people's lives that night. I, I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Um, does it upset you when people call you a hero? So I'm going to, I'm actually going to tell you a quick story. Okay. It's going to, it's going to, I don't want to answer that yet, but this story will kind of tell you about that. Okay. So I want to take you back to um, this is the lawsuits going on. It hasn't happened. My stepfather just got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. He was a police lieutenant here in the Bay Area. He was my, my everything, my hero. He's the reason why I became a cop. And so a couple of years after this happened, our department has an annual award ceremony. And the awkward thing was that as a sergeant, it was one of my additional duties, but there's a lieutenant above me who was in charge of it. And he came to me 
And um, to give you some background on my department, there hadn't been an officer-involved shooting the entire time I'd been there. So when mine happened, it was, I'd been there about eight years. And I think the one, the last one they had was like 14 years um, before mine or 15 years, some, something like that. And so and in that case, those officers were kind of like in a running gun battle um, and they killed the guy and they ended up getting a Medal of Valor. And so this lieutenant comes to me and he says, hey, um, you know, we're putting together this award ceremony, we want to do something for you and the three officers that were involved in the shooting. And, you know, what do you think would be the appropriate um, level of recognition? I said, well, I said, Lieutenant, you're kind of putting me in an awkward spot because I was involved in this incident. I said, but I truly believe that my people deserve the Medal of Valor because they ran into the most dangerous situation you can imagine. And, and most people don't realize that guns are sorry, knives are much more dangerous than guns because people survive gunshot wounds all the time. But most people do not stat, survive stab wounds. And knives go right through ballistic vests. That's another thing that I think most people don't realize. And so he said, okay. And he, he went off. And a couple weeks later, he came back to me and he said, hey, I want to give you a heads up. I talked to the chief. I talked to the captains. And um, we're going to recognize them with the Distinguished Service Medal, which has never been given out. And just so you know, I'm telling you, and this isn't what he said, but it's a step below the Medal of Valor. The Medal of Valor is the highest recognition you can see, receive from my police department. And he said, you know, basically that it didn't, he, this lieutenant told me who's never been involved in a shooting or an incident like this. He said, you know, you guys were doing your job and it didn't rise to that level. It didn't, it didn't meet that criteria. It was dangerous, but it, it wasn't that criteria. And so imagine me, here's my stepfather, my hero. He's literally dying. I know he's dying. He's not going to survive this. It's his last award ceremony he'll ever see me at. And they basically told me that what we did did not rise to the Medal of Valor. And this was from people that had never been in any situation like it, who had never been forced to take a human life. And so to answer your question, that's what fucking pisses me off. Okay. Because we don't want to be recognized, but that was an insult. And it was an insult to my officers because they put their fucking life on the line and ran towards danger when most people will run away from it. Oh, amen. <laughs> how do you uh, now, how do you de decompress? What, what kind so of I, yeah. I have a routine. So I go to the gym every single day. Um, and usually I work out with one or two buddies. One is an active police officer I went to the academy with. Another guy's an Air Force guy I went to college with. And um, I usually work out for two hours. I do an hour, 15 hour of weights and machines. And then I do three to four miles on the treadmill every single day. And if I don't go to the gym, I go hiking. When I get back, I take my dog for a walk and then I do meditation. You know, I take my shower, go out through my day. Um, before I go to bed every night, I practice gratitude. And that's where basically I think of three things that happened in that day that I'm grateful for. And so before I lay my head down, I'm leaving myself with positive thoughts. And you know, it could be anything. It could be literally like I woke up today and got out of bed with no pain, or I made it to the gym and worked out with my buddy, or I got a text from a friend I haven't heard from in three months. You know, the point is we, if you look at our day, everyone can look at their day and at least three good things have happened. I mean, there may be some shitty things and bad things, but the whole point is to get rid of that negative mindset and focus on the bad. Cause I was guilty of doing that all the time and try to retrain your brain and say, no, I'm going to focus on 
the positive. And so I go to bed with positive feelings and hopefully when I wake up, I'm in a good mood and have positive feelings. Michael, I'm going to respect your time. I appreciate you hopping on so, so much. We have to do a part two after I read the book and, uh, yes, yes. We'll, we'll talk. All right. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You for, thank you for your years of service and thank you for hopping on this week's episode of the hero Academy. I always tell people I won't call them a hero. That's just the name of the show, <laughs> but I will thank you for your service. And I will say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you've contributed to our great country and the great state of California. You know, it's, I value your years of service. And that's why I invited you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. And one thing I just want to add is that if people want to get a hold of me, I'm on pretty much every social media platform. Uh, just type in Sergeant Michael Sugru, S-U-G-R-U-E. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, TikTok. Finally, I didn't want to do it. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on Parler. I'm on Truth. Tell me, Nobody's tell on me Truth. Dancing. Tell me you're not dancing on TikTok, though. <laughs> Man, you are not going to see me dancing. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, when I was back in the Air Force and I was single and young, I was dancing on bars and at clubs, and that's a whole nother episode, but you will not see me dancing on TikTok today. No, you're not going to see it. But, uh, you know, reach out to me on any of those platforms. I check them every single day, and I promise I will get back to you. So I'm most active on Instagram. Um, I end LinkedIn, but uh, I'll connect with you on, on Instagram and send you something funny. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to blow your socks off. And Relentless I'm courage. Right now, I'm, I'm committing right now. We're going to do another episode because that's going to be even better than this conversation. I guarantee it. All right. All right. It's, it's a promise. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.